Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the unfortunate irony of starting Black History Month with the tragic case of Tyree Nichols being the top story in the news. Also this morning, will we ever find out who leaked the Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe v. Wade? And does it really matter? The future of home design and innovation on display this week at the Kitchen and Bath Show, the National Hardware Show, and the International Builders Show, all happening concurrently in Las Vegas. And in our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, reopening the vaccination debate with honest answers to some legitimate questions and concerns about how to best protect our kids. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. Forty-six days until spring, uh, according to the calendar, but it is Groundhog Day today. So maybe, just maybe, we'll get in early spring. We'll find out uh, later today. Because in case you didn't know, it is uh, Groundhog Day today. So, that. so big news. Uh, President Biden uh, is proposing a new law that would eliminate... Or, if not eliminate, reduce some of the so-called junk fees that you and I are charged on a regular basis. For example, uh, this bill, this proposal would cap late fees on credit card payments. Right now, the average is $31. You make a late fee or you make a late payment on uh, your credit card bill, you are going to be charged uh, an average of $31. This bill, this proposal, would cap those late fees at $8. So, uh, which I, I'm guessing the credit card company is going to be opposed uh, to. Uh, obviously, that is a source of revenue, late fees, but it is also a deterrent. I mean, if it only costs you $8 to pay it late, then there will be a fair number of people who say, oh, that's no big deal. And it will not be the disincentive that $31 would be. But uh, they're looking at it uh, as cutting off an illegitimate revenue stream. Uh, Some of the other junk fees that would be eliminated or capped, uh, some online ticket fees. You buy a ticket to a sporting event or a concert or what have you, and you have to pay those ticket fees. Uh, Early termination fees for like your cable TV subscription or a uh, phone, uh, cell phone contract, early termination fees would go away. Um, undisclosed resort fees at hotels and uh, things like that. Those would uh, be eliminated. So uh, just some of the junk fees that would be eliminated by this. I don't know whether it's going anywhere, but uh, it's something to watch. So... In case you hadn't heard about that. By the way, it is Groundhog Day today. Um, so want to make sure that uh, everybody aware of that. Um, this is kind of interesting. Uh, today's COVID story. COVID's still a thing. The University of Missouri has identified seven symptoms of long COVID. Seven health symptoms of COVID-19 that last up to a year after an infection. And they are, the seven that they are, uh, rapid heartbeat, hair loss, chest pain, fatigue, joint pain, shortness of breath, and obesity. Those are the seven symptoms, of seven health symptoms of uh, long COVID. The research team at the University of Missouri at Columbia Use data from more than 52,000 patients from 122 healthcare facilities. And um, the author of the study says before we examined the data, we believed we would find an ample amount of the symptoms to be specifically associated with long COVID, but that wasn't the case. Uh, these actually are symptoms associated with. Um, Well, it says here, seven health symptoms of COVID-19 lasting up to a year post-infection, but not technically long COVID. I guess that's a different uh, description. Hmm. These findings, they say, could help separate post-COVID syndrome from other post-viral syndromes. But I thought it was kind of interesting because uh, so many of those uh, could be attributed to any number of things. Hair loss, uh, chest pain, shortness of breath. 
uh, obesity, rapid heartbeat, all of those things could be associated with any number of uh, conditions. So I guess maybe taken all together and did somebody have uh, COVID? I would hate to think, though, that people would be dismissing some of those things as post-COVID symptoms when it could be pointing to something more serious. So I would imagine we have to go forward very delicately with that. Kind of interesting. Hey, it is Groundhog Day today, by the way. So we get to find out whether we're going to get an early spring or six more weeks of winter. That'll be, what, I guess about an hour and a half. Punxsutawney Phil will make his prediction. Tom Brady has re-retired. Now, this was kind of interesting. Um... (laughs) It was a year to the day after he retired the first time, and he announced yesterday he is re-retiring from uh, football. Um, How ironic would it have been if he'd have done that last time and this time on February 2nd? You know, Groundhog Day repeating. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Brady finishes career with seven Super Bowl titles, leads the league with the most passing yards and passing touchdowns of all time. His last game, a loss to the Dallas Cowboys during the wild card weekend in Tampa. Uh, Tom Brady, of course, played his college football at the University of Michigan from 1996 to 1999, was drafted by the New England Patriots in 2000 in the sixth round. He would go on to play 19 seasons with the Patriots, winning six of his Super Bowl titles. Later, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, moved to uh, Tampa Bay in uh, 2020 and would win the Super Bowl that same season with uh, Tampa Bay. So, um, Tom Brady, GOAT, the greatest of all time. I don't think there's any question but that he will be remembered as the uh, greatest quarterback of uh, all time. The stats tell the tale. You know who else uh, announced their uh, retirement? Uh, Yesterday announced they were hanging it up. Dr. Phil. Yes, that's right. Dr. Phil ending his run on daytime TV after 21 seasons. He said his goal was just to hang on as long as Tom Brady. That was, <laughs> I don't uh, I don't think that really had anything to do with it. He said he has decided to end the show at the close of the current season. That'll be the spring. Um, the show averages roughly 2 million viewers per episode, making it the highest rated daytime talk show. Uh, when announcing the decision, Dr. Phil told fans he has been blessed to work on the show for over 25 years, helping thousands of guests and millions of viewers with their problems. He promised that even though he's moving on from daytime television, there is still a lot that he wants to do. So, hey, it is Groundhog Day today, uh, by the way. Make sure that you're aware of that. Uh, The groundhog will peek out and make his prediction for an early spring, six more weeks of winter, about an hour and a half from now. Um... Here's another big story that is in the news, maybe needs to be mentioned more than it is, a story of interest. Uh, Attorneys general from 20 states, including Ohio, have uh, written a letter to CVS and Walgreens pharmacies um, about their plans to distribute abortion pills through the mail. Uh telling the pharmacies that this is both unsafe and illegal. The officials uh, sent a letter Wednesday that federal law prohibits anyone from using the mail to send or receive any drug that will be used or applied for producing an abortion. This is federal law. Uh, It is an 1873 law known as the Comstock Act. Uh, Last month, the the Department of Justice said in a legal finding that mailing two abortion drugs does not violate the Comstock Act, but the attorneys general disagree. The uh, DOJ uh, said that the Postal Service is legally allowed to deliver prescription abortion drugs, even in states that have restricted access to abortion. So the fight continues, but uh, 20 attorneys general, all from Republican states, including Ohio, Telling CVS and Walgreens, better watch it, because we're watching you. Hey, it is Groundhog Day today. Um, (laughs) uh, We're going to find out whether it'll be an early spring or six more weeks of winter. 
Uh, this was kind of interesting. Amazing science. A team of engineers in Finland have created a tiny robot that could help pollinate plants. It's kind of a fairy-like robot that can fly and easily float when lifted by the wind. Uh, and these robots could one day do the job of bees. Um, by the way, they would be powered by the sun. They'd be solar-powered, and uh, they would go... Uh, it would float around and pollinate uh, flowers and plants. Uh, this would have a huge impact on agriculture globally since the loss of pollinators has become a serious threat to biodiversity and food production. It was according to the uh, engineers in Finland that created this. That is actually, look at, how many years have we talked about uh, the uh, colony collapse in, uh, in bees and how that is? A uh, serious concern because they are a key pollinator. Well, technology, science to the rescue. We can't figure out what's killing the bees, but we can replace them with technology. Um, by the way, it is Groundhog Day today, so make sure that you know that. To, uh, get up and get going. Get ready for the big Groundhog Day. And uh, lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, the state of Maryland is considering a law that would give businesses incentives to adopt a four-day work week in place of the usual five-day week. How would you like today to be your last day of the week, of the work week? How would you like your every weekend to be a three-day weekend? They're not going to make it a law. I thought this was what I thought was interesting about this, is that they're not going to make it a law. They're going to give businesses incentives to adopt it. They wouldn't have to, but... Uh, the bill offers tax breaks to companies that decide to offer the four-day schedule to their employees. Studies have shown that fewer hours in the office actually leads to greater productivity, not to mention greater employee satisfaction, and that is the impetus uh, for this bill. So I thought that's an, an interesting strategy. They're going to uh, not mandate it, but they're going to incentivize uh, businesses to try it out at least. So we'll see. And if it works in Maryland, who knows? I might see it uh, in other places moving forward. So certainly worth watching. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. By the way, it is Groundhog Day today. So Punks Tony Phil, about an hour and a half from now, going to uh, tell us whether we're going to get an early spring or six more weeks of winter. So, there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Plenty of sunshine expected again today with a high of 35. Partly cloudy tonight, a low of 10. The Ohio State Highway Patrol says the driver of a semi was killed when he crashed in Seneca County. Crash investigators say the 62-year-old from Tiffin was driving a semi south on State Route 53 when he went off the right side of the road and hit a guardrail. The semi then crossed back over the left side of the roadway and overturned. The driver had to be extricated by the Sycamore Fire Department and sustained fatal injuries in the crash, which remains under investigation. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine delivered his State of the State address. He talked about the economy and saying more communities need to be prepared to accept new businesses but lack the proper land to build on. We will make an unprecedented $2.5 billion investment to prepare the infrastructure of large economic development sites located in every single part of the state of Ohio. Other topics the governor touched on include lawmakers needing to create better crisis response units and expanding the 988 hotline. I'm Andrew Kinsey. Hancock County officials have completed the Community Health Improvement Plan, CHIP, which is based on the results of the Hancock County Community Health Assessment. We are eagerly looking forward to the launch of the CHIP to make sure that uh, we are addressing significant issues in our community. Zach Thomas, Director of Wellness and Education at the Hancock County Board of Alcohol, Drug Addiction, and Mental Health Services, says a community forum will be held in a few weeks. Get more on the website. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland is out with a list of nominees that could become new members this year. There are 14 nominees this year representing a wide range of music. The list includes The Spinners, Cheryl Crow, Cindy Lauper, and Kate Bush, along with George Michael, New Order, Iron Maiden, Rage Against the Machine, Soundgarden, and another country icon who could join Dolly Parton in the Rock Hall, Willie Nelson. 
The inductees will be announced in May. Dave James, I went in news. Remember, you can get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Our cover story this morning is always a topic that is difficult to talk about. As we all know, February is Black History Month. But what is ordinarily a celebration of the contributions of African Americans, the contributions and accomplishments of African Americans throughout history, has been muted by yet another tragic case of a black man uh, dying at the hands of law enforcement, this time in Memphis. And uh, joining us this morning is uh, Jerome Gray, the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center. And uh, Jerome, I know uh, that that unfortunate irony is not lost on you, the, starting Black History Month with this tragic case of Tyree Nichols being the top story in the news. Uh, yes, the plight of black citizens dying uh, unarmed at the hands of the police continues to be an issue in America. It seems like this case, though, uh, is – I know that it's, that it's not different. The circumstances uh, do not change the narrative, do not change the uh, issue and the importance of the issue. But it seems rather different that uh, somehow that, that this happened at the hands of uh, officers who were also black. How do you – Look at that and 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 see the the conflict there. Well, Chris, it's been said that just because you diversify the evil doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it changes the effect that it has on the here and now today. Mm. When you when you operate in an, an environment. Whatever the policies are, the day-to-day actions that happen to that environment, if you act counter to those environments, you won't be employed there long. That is, that is one of the other things that is different about, uh, about this incident than what we have seen uh, in similar cases before. Uh, the fact that these officers were almost immediately, uh, almost immediately fired and charged uh, with a number of serious charges, murder and kidnapping and, and, and so on. I mean, these uh, are pretty serious charges they are, are facing. And in the ensuing investigation, even more people have lost their jobs for their role and what they did or did not do. Uh, in the wake of uh, of this attack on uh, Tyree Nichols, and that certainly is different than what we have seen in the past. Is that some measure of hope in all of this tragedy that uh, the that justice seems to have been a bit more swift in this case? No, I don't think that that changes the complexion of the situation because we still have a young man that was brutally no question no question but i'm just wondering i mean that didn't happen it didn't happen in uh the brown taylor case in the uh, george floyd case in the uh certainly in the rodney king case uh all of those decades ago that 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 the officers if they face trial at all um and as we Remember, in the Rodney King case, they were uh, specifically they were uh, acquitted, but justice took a lot longer to come by than what it has in this case. Yeah, but see, when you look at it in that manner, we we can discuss progress versus change. Okay, Mm. you can say there has been progress in the fact of how quickly they were charged, Mm -hmm. but their manner still demonstrates no change. When we speak of the police, we enter into a social contract, we as society. We pay our taxes, they're hired to protect and serve. Okay? Right. But what is shown here 
that even black policemen didn't respect the black individual. So you've had progress, even from the standpoint of a larger picture of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. There has been progress. Yeah. Be through legislature. Okay. Yeah. Civil Rights Act, Brown versus the Board of Education, Mm -hmm. uh, Fair Housing Act, the Voting Rights Act. But from the standpoint of social change, and we can't just view Finley, okay? Life Mm -hmm. in Finley is different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you look at America in the context of everything, you question the actual social change that's been made. Because as Dr. King said on the subject, he said, you can legislate. They were talking about legislating. He said, well, you can legislate Mm -hmm. a person. You can't legislate a person to love me. Yeah. Yeah. But but you can legislate a person not to lynch me. Yeah. See, that's progress versus change. Change comes in the heart. Yeah. Progress can be measured in the law. I, I get you. And and I guess that goes back to that, that eternal question. People have been asking it since the uh, since the Emancipation Proclamation. How do we change the the hearts and minds? And I guess when you hear um so I so I wonder two things uh then with respect to that. Um when you hear the discussion of do we need additional laws? Do we need to change uh, the the laws, the policies, procedures? And and some people, you know, wonder what more can we do? Is there anything more to be done? I mean, have we have we done enough on that end of things? Because, like you said, laws are not going to change hearts and minds. Well, you know, when you get into that, you start talking qualified immunity. Uh, as it, as I heard said just this morning, said that if you work to take away qualified immunity where there can be some civil penalty placed on people, mm-hmm. police that do things wrong, right. that when, they're leave, when they leave their home, their wives would be saying, don't do anything bad today. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the argument has been made that makes it even more difficult to uh, for people to get people to step up and, and fill those roles, knowing that, uh, you know, one, uh, bad decision could mean, you know, jail time and, you know, uh, all of that. I mean, it's already a diff- difficult that's, job that's, that would be made. Yep, that's true. It's, yeah. it's, it's a tough job. Yeah. It's a yeah. tough job. It's not one that you and I would want to do or choose to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the other, uh, the other question then, uh, since, Again, it ultimately comes down to changing hearts and minds. How do we do that? We've been trying to figure that out uh, for centuries now. Yeah, it comes down to individuals wanting to come to a better understanding of why we find ourselves as a country in the position that we are. Mm -hmm. You have to educate yourselves. I talk with people on different days, and they say, well, can can you explain that or teach me about that? And sometimes my answer is no. That's something that you have to seek to come to understand on your own so mm-hmm. that it affects you in the same manner that it's affected me. You know, even as I speak here on the radio this morning, this is the 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 the, the, the dichotomy that I face. Do I speak what I know to be truth as a black man, or do I speak what other people believe and feel? Mm-hmm. And it it is and it is difficult. I mean, these are uh, always difficult conversations to me, and we've talked about this before. I have, I, I've always got to check my. Uh, feelings and and emotions and opinions at the door a bit because i don't know uh your experience i am not a black man i don't know your experience and i always have to keep that in the back of my mind and that's difficult that's i think that's difficult for anyone yes it is but there are books that you can read that do tell the truth about what happened in American history. And part of the problem that we find ourselves today is that people are trying to even stifle more the reality of 
the effect of things such as slavery that still has an effect on how we live our lives today. Mm. It's not a, they view it as a pre-modern thing, Mm -hmm. but slavery didn't just end with the Emancipation Proclamation. The effects of it financially, socially, carry forward all the way to this day and will continue. And that kind of circles back to the importance of Black History Month, which, uh, again, is supposed to be a celebration of the accomplishments, the contributions of African Americans throughout history. And I know this is very important to organizations such as the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center. Uh, Yes, it is. But if I had my dream, as one has said, we wouldn't have a Black History Month. We would just tell American history as it flows in reality. Yeah, very, very good point. But uh, I I think it would be, we would be remiss if we didn't say that this is a a perfect opportunity for folks to sort of step outside your own comfort zone and your own uh, knowledge and understanding of the world around you and learn a little bit more from that uh, alternative perspective or that other perspective that we just don't know from our own reality yep can i speak to two events coming up absolutely please do uh tonight at the black heritage library we are going to be having a to start a six-week series on discussion about the 1619 project i will send you a link that will explain what that is in a little detail. And then we are partnering uh, Saturday night and Sunday afternoon with the Fort Finley Playhouse. They're having a one-man performance uh, on um, Fields, uh, Alonzo Fields, who was the chief White House butler during the Truman, Roosevelt, Hoover and Eisenhower administrations. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be Saturday evening at eight o'clock and Sunday afternoon at two o'clock for that one man performance. Yeah. Uh, And you get tickets online at the Fort Finley Playhouse. And I'll send you the link to that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's called looking over the president's shoulder. And we do have a link up. Yeah. We have a link up uh, to that on our webpage at goodmornings.net. It should be a really interesting uh, performance. Again, Jerome Gray, the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center with us this morning. Always an interesting conversation. And uh, Jerome, I appreciate you taking the time. All right, thanks for having me, Chris. So you recall a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about this. Pro-Life Advocates held the annual March for Life event in Washington, D.C. and other cities around the country. It was the first post-Roe March for Life event, as we were talking about. Right about that same time, a couple of weeks ago... The uh, marshal of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, issued its report on the leak of the Dobbs decision. Uh, You recall that uh, several months before the decision that would overturn Roe v. Wade was actually handed down, a draft of that decision was leaked to the public and caused uh, quite an uproar. And it was an interesting report. We wonder, will we ever really find out who leaked that decision because the report doesn't say uh and does it really matter dr scott gerber is with us uh, once again we talk uh, with uh, dr gerber about all things uh involving the supreme court is with the ohio northern university pettit school of law and of course associated scholar of the brown university political theory project and uh, Scott, you uh, actually wrote a uh, a paper on uh, this because it was it was so the interest here is because this is so unusual I don't know that uh, anything like this had happened before. Yeah, um, I added. I, I wrote a chapter. I was asked to write a chapter for a book series every year. Uh, Morgan Marietta uh, publishes an edited collection about the, the term that just finished major mm. decision. So just talking about the cases, but because the leak was so uh, uh, significant. Uh, he asked me if I'd write about the leak because I had written an op-ed about the leak. Yeah. So 
In terms of whether it's happened before, as I mentioned in the chapter, yes, it's happened before a, a couple of times, including in Roe itself, not the leak of the opinion itself, but a leak that the court was going to decide it the way it did hmm. That's uh, interesting. at the time. So it has happened before, but not this seriously yeah um so why why is this such a uh, a big deal and why the so much attention uh paid to this leak and and who did it and uh you know plugging the leak and and so on why does this matter well the justices themselves when the investigation report by the marshal was released they had a cover note and they said among other things quote the integrity of judicial proceedings depends on the involvability of internal deliberation. So that's their opinion. I don't know if I agree with that, but that's what they think. They think this was just awful. In terms of the other consequences, well, the person that linked it uh, could have committed a crime. You know, there's a lot, a lot of federal statutes that uh, obstruction of justice. Former U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr said that this if it was an attempt to obstruct or influence the administration of justice, i.e. change the outcome of the case, mm-hmm. uh, that that's a crime. And, you know, um, uh, using government property for personal gain, that's a crime. So there are literally federal statutes that make it a crime. And then finally, I mean, the uh, it, it, it has career implications for people. So if one of the law clerks did it, I right. would think it would make it very difficult for the law clerk to get a job, frankly, as yeah. a... Yeah, as a lawyer, that, so it's really point. important. Yeah, that's a, a a good point. The reason I ask is because if the if the justices feel that this was such a, an egregious move that uh, that it was uh, so terrible, uh, then why simply conduct an internal investigation, which is certainly not their uh, not their area of expertise? Why not call in the FBI? to do a, a more thorough investigation, because the report that they issued did not really contain a whole lot of answers. Right. Um, I suppose the argument for not calling in the FBI or DOJ to do the investigation would be separation of powers. You know, those two offices work for the executive branch, so that could be the argument. But uh, the marshal herself... Uh, her job is chief security officer and facilities administrator of the building. She doesn't know anything about how to yeah. conduct an investigation. And so some people think that the reason they didn't do a real investigation is because they don't want to know the answer. Yeah. Well, that's the other, <laughs> that's the other uh, question. You know, will we ever find out uh, who the leaker was? I mean, is it, uh, is it likely... Uh, to ever come out, or would they rather kind of keep it quiet? Or is it possible that they know who it is and they're not going to make it public? Um, well, obviously the leaker, or leakers plural, uh, knows who it is. Sure. Um, but I don't, as I said a second ago, I don't, I don't think the court, the justices want it known. And just note, for example, um, they didn't put the, they didn't require the justices themselves to sign an affidavit. In the report itself, it didn't even mention whether they were questioned, and then there was a, a big brouhaha about that, and then the marshal issued a statement, yes, she had an iterative process with them, whatever that means. But she didn't, unlike the clerks and the staff who work in the building, they had to sign an affidavit swearing under oath that they didn't do it. Mm. They did, she didn't make the justices do that, mm. and she should have made the justices do that. As you know... Our country was founded on the idea that no one is above the law. So just yeah. because someone holds a certain position doesn't mean that they're not accountable. That's and the Supreme Court is bound by no ethics rules, literally. Unlike any other person in the government, they don't have to follow. They're not bound by any. That's, that's crazy. That's a good point. And, and uh, they're possibly, if, I mean, uh, if, and I suppose that's an interesting suggestion, if it was one of the... Uh, fellow justices uh, who was uh, not in agreement with the ruling that ultimately uh, leaked it with the idea of influencing the outcome, that would bring up an entirely uh, different set of uh, circumstances. I mean, that that would ab- absolutely be a, a serious breach. But as you mentioned, 
no ethics rules uh, apply here. So that uh, brings up a, a broader issue. I It was interesting um, in one of the uh, uh, Sunday news shows, I, I think this past weekend, they were talking about, uh, you know, the uh, big stink about classified documents being found in uh, possession of Donald Trump and Joe Biden and now Vice President, former Vice President Mike Pence. And the suggestion was made, maybe we should make Supreme Court rulings, the drafts of Supreme Court rulings classified uh, as well. Uh, but it's interesting. You said that there are already laws that would theoretically prevent uh, these leaks from happening. Yeah, if there, if the leak is uh, for a, 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 a questionable purpose, but Congress, uh, uh, there's a bill in Congress making it a crime to do specifically this, to leak a draft. Hmm. That hasn't passed yet, so there are some that could apply given the motive of the leaker, but Congress has on its agenda a bill that would literally make simply the fact that you leak it. But I just want to make one comment. It also could be could have been leaked by one of the justices that wanted to overrule Roe to lock in Kavanaugh mm. and Barrett. Oh, that's true, uh, too. Uh, so it's not necessary. If, if a justice leaked it, and I yeah. don't know if a justice did leak it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it was leaked by a justice on the left. That's a good point. Uh, it could also have been leaked by a justice on the right for the reason I just mentioned. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So ultimately... Uh, I guess the the big question here uh, with the, and the and the postscript on this whole uh, situation is like with any uh, matter of the court, what precedent does this set? Can you see this happening uh, again? I mean, is is that really the the concern that this will suddenly become the norm that we'll uh, uh, learn about this or or? Is this enough to plug future leaks? Well, if it was one of the justices that leaked it, I think it won't happen again, at least not for a good while, because they've dodged a bullet, as they say. Mm -hmm. um, if it was uh, someone else, a, a clerk or a former clerk or a staff member that leaked it, uh, maybe another staff member or a clerk in a different case might feel emboldened, you see, I can get away with it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the consequences, as we all know, of not holding people accountable for things they do wrong is you embolden them to keep doing it. Right, right. Uh, it will be very interesting uh, to see. Of course, um, you know, very few issues uh, before the court have this kind of level of I mean, they're all, you know, uh, very serious and very consequential, but this one especially, and then goes to an entirely different level. So maybe it was one off uh, with respect to that. But again, like you said, uh, if someone feels so emboldened uh, to uh, try it again, it'd be interesting moving forward. Again, Dr. Scott Gerber uh, with us, Ohio Northern University's Pettit School of Law and Brown University Political Theory Project. Dr. Gerber, thanks very much for uh, taking the time, sharing your insight. We appreciate it. You're welcome, Chris. Well, it's not as sexy as the Consumer Electronics Show, but for a homeowner, it's probably even more relevant. This week in Las Vegas, it's actually three shows happening concurrently. The Kitchen and Bath Show, National Hardware Show, and the International Builders Show, covering virtually every aspect of home innovation in one experience. And joining us is the host of the Emmy-winning home improvement program, George to the Rescue, George Oliphant, to bring us the scoop on uh, all of the hottest stuff at these shows. George, what do you have for us? Where do we start? Hey, I mean, you said it's not as sexy as some of the stuff that was at CES. I would counter that with I have seen some really sexy appliances. <laughs> I was just saying, I mean, I, you know, how old am I now that I'm geeking out and getting excited about refrigerators <laughs> and ovens? But these things are beautiful. Uh, starting with, uh, I was in the LG booth. They have this Mir InstaView Counter Depth Max French Door Refrigerator. This thing is phenomenal. It's a smaller footprint because it is a French door, because it is a counter-depth fridge, but it is also the industry's largest counter-depth fridge, so you're not sacrificing any of that storage space. Uh, it's got this beautiful mirror door um, that is with the InstaView panel that if you were actually to knock on it two times, it illuminates, so you don't even have to open your fridge door to see what's inside of there. Uh, once you do, it's got storage galore. 
Uh, it's got linear and uh, door cooling, so it's going to keep your food fresher for longer. And what really sold me is that it's got four different types of ice cubes. Your traditional cube, your smaller cubes, your crushed ice, and then the creme de la creme, the round, clear ice cubes that you put in your scotch or your cocktail. Uh-huh. Uh, really just so cool to see that fridge in action. That is um, that is pretty awesome. What else have you got? So on that same line, you know, again, everything is about stuff, uh, you know, appliances and uh, just the new bells and whistles. Well, the Signature Kitchen Suites 48-inch dual-fuel pro-range, I would say this thing is like the Ferrari of ovens and ranges. They call it the Swiss Army knife of pro-ranges. It literally can do any type of cooking you can imagine. It's got a built-in sous-vide. It's got induction and gas burners. It's got steam technology and your convection, and your traditional convection oven. Plus, it has warming drawers. I mean, as the celebrity chef, Chef Nick, who works with Signature Kitchen Suite says this thing, it'll do everything but slice and dice, and that's probably coming next year. I mean, this thing, uh, I, again, I was blown away. That's that's how old I am now. That's how excited I get about appliances. <laughs> but the fridge and the oven were like, oh. I actually called my wife and told her, she's like, we don't need an oven or a fridge. I was like, I just want to tell you how cool these things are. <laughs> well, like I said, for, for a uh, homeowner, uh, is probably even more relevant than some of what we see at uh, CES. What about the uh, hardware show? I know you spent some time looking uh, at some of that stuff uh, this week. What uh, items oh, yeah. do you have there? Yeah, I mean, I'm literally bouncing around like a ball here, just like from the builder show to the, to, to the, to the kitchen and bath show, just meeting people, seeing people, checking out everything. One really cool thing I saw at the Builders Show, and this is one of those easy things that we literally everyone, every one of your listeners can uh, use. It is a new light bulb. Who knew they were going to reinvent the light bulb? I guess they did a few <laughs> years ago when they made everything LED, but now what they've done is because LED, just like all the screens, they, 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 there's a lot of blue light that comes off of them. Well, the Sylvania True Wave LED lights, they reduce that, that blue light by reducing eye strain and headache. Uh, they're going to help you fall asleep faster and boost your mood and improve your uh, productivity. And right now, with us spending more and more time inside during the winter months with uh, with artificial light, this these bulbs are the closest you're going to get to the sun's natural light. So who knew that changing out your light bulb would help you see and feel better? It well, was uh, it is as easy as that. That uh, says it all right there. I mean, it's uh, they're literally reinventing the light bulb at uh, at these <laughs> shows. You know, um, we reference the CES and and tech experts that we speak to uh, while that show is going on will uh, say uh, all the time that beyond just the cool tech gadgets uh, that everybody talks about, the real value is in looking at the trends to see where the industry itself is going in the future. Is that the same with these shows? I mean, can you get a sense of the trends in the future of home design and where it is going from what you are seeing there? Oh, 100%. Whether it's color trends, uh, style trends, um, efficiency, making things more efficient, uh, make things work better, uh, just, yeah, every, so like we always talk about things being smarter and really with, you know, with tech, and I'm sure at CES is the same, is that, you know, it's just making our lives simpler and, 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 and also at the same time, making us, you know, making our carbon footprint smaller, which is really important on the grand scale of things. So I feel like everybody has got something on the, the efficiency side and somebody is like on the smart tech side so that you can, you know, program things from your phone. It really helps us, you know, make less mistakes because we have all these backups helping us kind of avoid those pitfalls again he is the uh, host of the emmy award-winning home improvement program george to the rescue george oliphant from the kitchen and bath show national hardware show international builder show all going on this week in las vegas where do we get more information george our new season season 14 is coming out in april you can catch that on nbc and if you want to catch up on some of our previous episodes because why wouldn't you make sure you got some kleenex because you're definitely going to shed a tear uh you can always catch our episodes on youtube and on Peacock. 20 years of making mornings good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Our top story, today's broken news, has to do with Groundhog Day because it's Groundhog Day, you woodchuck chuckers. For the second year in a row, big controversy in Milltown, New Jersey, surrounding Groundhog Day. For the second year in a row, 
Milltown Mel will not take part in the Groundhog Day festivities. You see, the previous Milltown Mel died just before last year's Groundhog Day, and his replacement <laughs> was not allowed to enter the state of New Jersey. Uh, event organizers blame state regulations, but uh, haven't explained further. They are simply advising folks to listen to what Mel's furry cousins have to say, including Punxsutawney Phil and Staten Island Chuck. Uh, remember, if uh, Groundhog prognosticators see their shadows in Groundhog Day, six more weeks of winter. If they don't, it's an early spring. <laughs> Milltown Mel, they don't, they don't have a groundhog in Milltown, New Jersey, because <laughs> Milltown Mel is not allowed into the state of the wildlife regulations. <laughs> here's here's hoping uh, here's hoping that they get that to. Uh, uh, all straightened out. You'd, you'd think that they had would have worked that out uh, over the course of the past year, but no, there's still this big uh, brouhaha, this big to-do in uh, Milltown, New Jersey <laughs> surrounding their official groundhog. Oh, my. <clears throat> Fortunately, no such problems in uh, Pennsylvania. I don't know. Why do they have to import a groundhog from out of state? Do they not have any groundhogs natively in New Jersey? I would think... That they would, but uh, apparently not. I don't know. Uh, that is not a problem in Pennsylvania. Here is a uh, another story out of Pennsylvania, not having anything to do with Groundhog Day. Um, but it does have to do with winter. This guy's going to uh, hope for a, an early spring. Uh, this Pennsylvania man who found out the hard way why you should not try to pull off a heist when there's snow on the ground. <laughs> you know where this is going, right? Uh, the report is that a man attempted to steal some stuff from a, a local factory in Burrell Township of Pennsylvania. Someone noticed the theft taking place and called police. The suspect fled the scene and might have gotten away with whatever he was doing had it not been for the visible trail of footprints that he left during his escape. <laughs> um Police uh, just followed the tracks and arrested 27-year-old Gage Evan Eaglehouse uh, after uh, following the tracks to his to the uh, nearby railroad tracks and then into the woods. <laughs> How did you ever find me? Um, <laughs> he's been charged with criminal trespassing and burglary, and he will explain himself to a judge next week. <laughs> Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, uh, fire rescue crews in Palm Beach County, Florida, got a call, uh, got an unusual call yesterday. Apparently, a car was left hanging in an elevator shaft at a Ferrari dealership. Now, that's something you don't see every day. Apparently, the car elevator uh, that they use to display the luxury vehicles, the supercars, and you've seen these, right? These uh, car vending machines or these car elevators. Apparently, the elevator malfunctioned. And when crews arrived at Ferrari of Palm Beach, they first had to stop a fuel leak, which required them to cut off power to the entire business. And then special operations and a local towing company worked to remove the Ferrari from the elevator shaft using multiple 50,000-pound winches. It took four hours to remove the car from the elevator shaft. Nobody was injured, but the report does not say anything about the status of the vehicle. <laughs> I would imagine it's probably dented. Would be my guess. <laughs> Try and explain that to your insurance company. I mean, I'm sure that the that the dealership has insurance that will cover the damage, but try explaining that to the insurance company. And a car caught in the elevator shaft. No, seriously. There's there's video and everything. That must have been quite a sight. I would imagine that it probably <laughs> gathered quite a crowd to see all of this happen. From the international file of the broken news this morning, this is a follow-up to the story that we had yesterday. You remember... 
Uh, we were telling you about the radioactive capsule that went missing in Australia. Well, good news, it has been found. This this capsule, which measured like three-tenths of an inch long, uh, was thought to have fallen off a truck on a bumpy road to Perth. And emergency services had to conduct a search operation covering 870 miles of roadway. And think about that. A capsule less than a half an inch in size trying to find this somewhere in an 870-mile stretch of highway. But Australian authorities reported yesterday that the capsule was found on the Great Northern Highway near Newman, Australia. I don't know how far from Perth that is. I haven't looked it up. The radioactive device measures the density of iron ore. The CEO of Rio Tinto, uh, the company that lost the capsule, has apologized to the community of Western Australia for the concern that the mishap caused. <laughs> Which I'm thinking, you know what? If that was, I mean, if they, if something like that were to happen here, can you imagine the panic? A radioactive capsule has been lost. We don't know where it is. Don't touch it. It could cause death. People would be going nuts. So, yeah. But it's been found. All is well. Elsewhere, in the international broken news, this is crazy. Happened at the Tel Aviv airport uh, where a baby was abandoned. And it wasn't, you know, a, a, a mother or a family down in their luck or, you know, abandoning their baby to give it a better life. You know, some of that. You can't tear for our baby. No, uh, this was uh, simply uh, the parents refused to buy a ticket for the infant. <laughs> Mom and dad were headed to Belgium on a Ryanair flight um, and were told that the child would have to have his or her own ticket. I don't know, boy or girl. Um they decided they weren't going to buy a ticket for their infant, and so they rushed off to security to board their flight. They left the child without a ticket for the flight right there in the ticketing area of the airport as they rushed to security. Airport staff notified security, and the parents were detained for questioning, and no one made their flight, so... As they learned their lesson. No one made the flight. <clears throat> Man, that's that's rough. I mean, how would you like to have those parents? I mean, <laughs> on the other hand, if you've ever done something that you're not proud of when it comes to raising your kids, you can take some solace in the fact at least you didn't abandon them in the airport because you didn't want to buy a ticket while you flew off to Belgium. Wow. And finally, in the broken news this morning, <laughs> this uh, in uh, Thailand, where a pirate-themed floating restaurant is now at the bottom of the uh, of the ocean. <laughs> Officials suspect a pump on the ship stopped working, which caused the vessel to sink. Footage shows the boat slowly sinking about a half a mile offshore. <laughs> some some of the pirates booty from the ship including a red couch and a refrigerator did uh, manage to make it to the beach uh the restaurant had uh closed the day before due to bad weather so nobody was on board but uh, how ironic is that that a pirate themed floating restaurant sank to the bottom of the ocean well shiver me timbers there you go <laughs> that is the broken news uh, this morning, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And yet another major brand just announced is halting all social media advertising. The two most overused and abused words in advertising are truth and trust. They are the two most precious commodities for all brands, big and small, as an advertiser. You have to trust your partners to protect your brand's truth using the media consumer's trust. Radio, it's on. This message provided by WFIN. 
And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. It turns out that most young adults today have no interest in adulting. (laughs) A, A new survey finds that the majority of Gen Zers and Millennials say that they are suffering from burnout because of all of the adult responsibilities that they now have on their plates. <laughs> They're burned out. These young adults are burned out of being adults. Uh, 63% say they uh, have adult burnout. Now, uh, keep in mind, the oldest Gen Zers are now 26 years old, and more than half are actually adults over the age of 18. Meanwhile, the oldest millennials uh, would be in their early 40s. And uh, this is what they said. Nearly three in five, 57% of young adults say that they are still struggling to figure out this whole adulting thing. <laughs> Four in five, Generation Z, uh, struggle with this. 49% of millennials say the same. Along with feeling burnt out, 63% claim that they were not prepared for the responsibilities of adulthood. And 22% admit that they don't know how to file their taxes, which obviously is, doesn't bode very well with it uh, being tax season. Only one in five, 19% of Gen Zers think that they'll figure everything out by the time they're 30. And uh, maybe even worse, over a quarter of millennials say they think they will be struggling with adult tasks into their 40s. Uh, they went on to uh, look at some of the Common adult tasks, common adult things that uh, these young adults say that they don't know how to do. 17% uh, of Gen Zers admit that they don't know how to write a check. Which, is that, I mean, for older folks like me, I mean, I'm in my 50s, and uh, I think they don't know how to write a check. How can that possibly be? But these days... How often do you write checks? I mean, is that a skill they really need to know how to do? Now, that being said, uh, let's see here, 46% say they have no idea how to tie a necktie. Uh, I guess you credit that to the uh, growing prevalence of business casual in the office or not going to the office at all, working remotely. You don't have to know how to. But uh, 63% say they cannot change the oil in their car, Uh, 48% could not change a tire, 42% don't know how to jumpstart a car if the battery is dead. Huh, that's kind of interesting. And uh, 29% of millennials say they don't know how to change a diaper. (laughs) Let's, Let's hope that they learn before they have kids. You remember we were talking earlier this week about the FDA's evolving strategy in combating COVID moving forward, reformulating the vaccine, transitioning to a yearly booster like the annual flu shot is. And we were talking about the fact that even though we knew all along that this would ultimately be where we would go with this, there is likely going to be some pushback for those from those who are still skeptical of the vaccine, just as many are opposed to any vaccines. And in that respect, this is not a new debate. In, ba- in fact, back in February of 2016, long before anyone had even heard of COVID-19, we spoke with family physician Dr. Chris Spinelli, co-author of the book The Vaccination Debate, Making the Right Choice for You and Your Children, We spoke about this very topic, and boy, does that seem relevant now. It is today's Throwback Thursday. I wonder, how did we get to the place in America today where so many parents fear the vaccines more than they do the diseases that the vaccines were designed to prevent? Well, I think that's a a big question. I think it's very multifactorial, too. Back in the, the late 90s, um, Dr. Wakefield put out a, a paper, and that was put in a medical journal, about some some risks between vaccinations and, and autism in his studies. Um, it, it was recanted, and it wasn't really ultimately deemed to be a legitimate study. However, you take that, and then you add all of the social media where 
everybody can get hold of anything at any time and you know so many of the sources online aren't aren't legitimate sure um, and so everybody's got an opinion and a lot of times opinion gets taken as fact and then people are you know there's just natural fear that people have of just things in general and so you add that to fear for your kid, and then it just really just really explodes. What about those who uh, will concede that the study which linked vaccines to autism was flawed, but are still concerned that even though that risk may not be there, that link may not be there, that there are still concerns over the safety of uh, vaccines in general? So vaccines, though, are... are massively investigated. I mean, if you look at the, the injury rate from vaccinations, it's quoted um, at the CDC about one in 2.4 million doses, right? And so, I mean, nothing is totally without risk. The, the human population is so genetically diverse, there's going to be some risk that somebody doesn't respond the way they're supposed to, whether it's to a vaccine or whether it's to a food you eat, right? I mean, sure. obviously people react poorly to nuts. Um, but you're not banning all nuts, you know what I mean? What about kids building up this immunity on their own naturally? I mean, when we were younger, there was no chicken pox vaccine. I remember getting chicken pox when I was in kindergarten. I did find the the mumps, the measles, pretty common. That was the stuff of uh, sitcom episodes were uh, centered around kids uh, that co- would come down with these, and, and it didn't seem to be a deadly disease. Why the, all of the concern about suddenly vaccinating uh, today's kids against these things? So natural immunity or acquiring it and having lifelong immunity is a great thing to do, right? I mean, so you you talk about chickenpox, and, and I had that too. So so that does build lifelong immunity. The the vaccines actually just simulate that exact same process. Basically, they give your body the chance to develop basically the same immunity you would get as if you got exposed to the virus without the potential sequela. So. I, I doubt that as a, as a child with chickenpox that you saw all the other kids who were in the ICU. Right from from varicella or the herpes virus causing the the bad outcomes. The the measles cases, you probably weren't hanging out in the hospitals with all the kids coming in or the people coming in with measles who were who were having detrimental effects. Um, and so that's why it seems like it's not a big deal. But unless you're really in the medical field seeing the people with the bad outcomes, it doesn't seem like it's a reality. That doesn't mean they don't occur. What about the the concern over the number of vaccines, the sheer volume of vaccines that are given, and at such a young age in this really aggressive schedule? Uh, again, just something that concerns a lot of parents who may not necessarily be opposed to vaccines in principle or in practice, but are concerned about the number that are given and so aggressively at such a young age. Yeah, so that's what the parents ask that question a lot in the office, and 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 so that is a that is a a discussion we kind of go through the the number of vaccines. Actually, it definitely has increased. You know, as the years have progressed and, and technology has been able to make some of those vaccines for the things that that can harm people, then they've gone ahead and, and made them. They don't make vaccines for for things like the common cold, right? I mean, you get over that in ten days; it's not really that big a deal. But things that can have bad, long-lasting outcomes are are going to get you. Um, as a total number of vaccines has gone up, though, the total amount of antigens that, that the human body gets exposed to in the vaccines has actually gone down. Um, just when you were little, like your pertussis vaccine had 3,000 antigens on it, right? Now, the, the combination diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis vaccine only has one, two, three, four, five total antigens. So hmm. overall, you're only exposed to about 160 antigens from birth to two years of age. Interesting. So that's less in two years than you got in a single pertussis vaccine when you were little. So while the number of, of needles and, and, you know, actual injections have increased um, and the total number have hmm. increased on the recommended list, the total amount of, of antigens that we get exposed to are less. Something that I, I think a lot of people uh, would probably be surprised to learn. Are vaccines the be-all and end-all? Uh, I mean, are no. there are there alternatives? Are there are there natural preventatives? That kind of thing. Because again, this is uh, becoming a, a growing field uh, within within medicine. Uh, is looking right. at some of these alternative uh, medicines and alternative practices and so on. Uh, are vaccines themselves the be-all and end-all? No, nothing ever is. You know, I mean, vaccine is is a good part of a of a whole good healthy lifestyle. Like so. If you, I mean, if you're not a healthy person, I mean, you're going to get sick more often, right? You, you may, and if we vaccinate you and your immune system is working properly, then you'll probably not get those particular illnesses, but you'll still be sick. So taking a bunch of vitamins and, and running on the treadmill isn't going to protect you from, from meningococcal disease, right? I mean, it, it makes your body recover better if you get sick, but in that instance, it's not going to prevent you from, from that. But a, 
you know, you still want to obviously live a, you know, wash your hands and, and do that stuff, try and avoid getting the things to start sure. with. Um, that always helps. It's just vaccines are just sort of, I mean, they're sort of a... Um, an insurance policy. You bring up a good point. Again, this is something that uh, we hear quite often from anti-vaccination activists. Why should you be so afraid of your vaccinated kid getting something from my unvaccinated kid? How do you respond to that? Well, to the population, to, to have herd immunity, the population has to have a certain amount of, of um of protection to for herd immunity to actually work. And some of the, the things we use actually cause herd immunity. Mm-hmm. Um, some kids actually that I see are on chemotherapy, though, so they don't have a choice, right? They can't, they can't get vaccines. Their immune system is down. There are kids who are, are just genetically lacking immunity. I mean, like agammaglobin is a, is a condition. Um, a lot of those things get checked on, on newborn screens, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of those things, you don't, they don't know that they don't have it. And so you know, that's a tricky question because it comes down to the fact that you can't really control what your kid touches, right? You can't really control how if they spread something. You really don't have the control people think they have. Again, from February of 2016, our conversation with family physician Dr. Chris Spinelli, co-author of the book The Vaccination Debate, Making the Right Choice for You and Your Children. And uh, again, just demonstrates that been having this conversation for a long time, long before anyone ever heard of COVID-19, which has just added another monkey wrench in the whole debate. Our Throwback Thursday this morning, you can get more information about the book, by the way, at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, we'll wrap up the week with a preview of this weekend's high school basketball action. We'll get more recipes from Kyra's Kitchen and lots more to do. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.